Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Parker Gillum. And this is before our after the box score, I guess now, right? Because yeah. we're doing it after the game. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. So hey, your your Missouri Tigers, they finally they pulled it out. I said it was going to be close. I said it was going to be a nail biter. It ended up being so. Missouri beats Central Michigan 34-24. Wins a win. We're feeling good. Uh, Parker is joining me. He is our our newest beat writer. He was at the game yesterday. Parker, how you doing, my man? Doing good, yeah. I mean, it's definitely better with a win under our belt than uh, as opposed to a loss. Got a little bit testy at some points there, but I think the second half, everybody was a lot more comfortable than the first. So generally in a good mood after that one for the most part. And you, you gotta, you gotta, you can't take these things for granted. I, I talked about this in my instant reaction post last night. Um, week one is always really, really weird. You never know exactly what your team is going to be. You never know how your how your schemes are going to play out. And we saw this across the country, right? Yeah. Oregon barely beat Fresno. Iowa State barely beat Northern Iowa. Mississippi State barely beat Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma barely beat Tulane. And then you got a ranked Washington squad <laughs> falling to an FCS team. That's the big one. Uh, Vanderbilt and Clark Lee's first game. They're 21-point favorites over East Tennessee. Lose by 20. <sighs> I can't say I'm too like, surprised. <laughs> you you just you, <laughs> you can't. You never know how things are going to play out in week one unless you're Alabama. Exactly. And 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 so when, when Missouri trots out and there's a lot of newness there and Central Michigan, Michigan comes out and there's a lot of returning guys there, it's these sorts of things happen. 
and you, you just got to win. And I think in the end, you know, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it was very stressful, but, uh, Parker, last I checked, we're one and oh. Yeah, correct. I mean, that is, I mean, that's, it's the cliche, you know, every team just wants to go one and every week. They're not looking ahead. But I mean, especially in week one, as you said, it is, it's, it's one and oh, get there, however means necessary. I mean, they, it was rough in the first half, down 14 7. You just need to fight back, work everything out. I mean, talking to players after the game, especially, I think they just felt, you know, they were like, we got out of that with the win. We're super excited to improve because, Generally in college football, every team makes their biggest jump between week one and week two. So I think, you know, especially Martez Manuel is all over that. He was talking about, you know, this was the first time we had had this new defense out playing live on a field. And he thought they played good, but he was like, I know there's so much more we can do. Um, so I just think, yeah, it's it's come out with a win. You're happy with it. You're moving on and you're hoping that next week, you know, you can iron out a lot of the a lot of the wrinkles that they had from yesterday because there were there were a decent amount. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll just dive into it. Just kind of what you see. You you were at the stadium. You were mm-hmm. you were in the press box. You kind of heard what the sports writers were seeing. You talked to the players afterwards. When when you went into for those post game interviews, what was your general impression of of what just happened? I mean, I would say I think everybody was. It was kind of like all the players and coaches are taking a deep breath right after the game. They said, "All right, we we got out of there after a you know dog fight for three plus hours." Um, I think there was a lot of happiness, especially, I mean, Sean Robinson could not stop going on about how he had gotten that sack uh, towards the end of the game. He described it as <laughs> best feeling in the world. He said even better than throwing a touchdown bass back from the days when he was a quarterback. Uh, he said, you know, it, it was even better than that. He couldn't put it into words. Uh, Tyler Beatty also pretty ecstatic. I, I don't know how you wouldn't be after you run for, you know, a career day, career touches. Um, I mean, obviously he, uh, I think the most interesting thing he said is that, you know, that, that, uh, I think it was a 69 yard run towards the end of the game, kind of mm-hmm. put the dagger in CMU. He was like, that's one of the ones, you know, I was just tired. I'm going to look back at that the rest of my career and, you know, regret that one. But he's like, eh, I can't do anything about it now. But I think they were, they were happy, but they were, all of them were very excited for this week of practice to get back in the fill room and, you know, figure out a lot of things that went wrong, especially in that first half when they were down. I think there was just a lot of first game jitters, which is going to happen with any team, especially a young team like this. But there's also a lot of new schemes. You know, I, we've said it plenty of times on the site, on the show, you know, Drinkwitz was not using his book at all last year. And probably, you know, if it was just barely any of it, he was usually running a lot of dually schemes using his verbiage, using his vernacular, of course, but running a lot of dually schemes. And so this is the first year where they have, seemingly the full access to the Drinkwitz book. And then on the defensive side, you go from Ryan Walters, who varied his defensive calls from single high safety cover one to single high safety cover one to Steve Wilkes. Who's like, I'm sure he can call, you know, you know, red dog blitz 17, 32 (laughs) twist. And everyone's like, what? Uh, And like zone concepts, man concepts, you know, like he, he is very, very smart and he wants to do a lot of different things and he's using pieces that are used to doing a handful of things. And you can, you can do some of that in, you know, in a teaching, like a, like a classroom setting, you can do some of that looking at your book, but until you get out on the field and you see what those concepts do with, you know, live fire. I mean, I, I didn't expect the defense to do super well. I didn't expect the offense to be, you know, clicking, you know, humming at a full blast, but like you kind of saw that apprehension. You kind of saw the, the fits and starts 
I, I don't know. It just made sense to me. What did you think? Yeah, I and I would also even add, I think I would argue this is the most excited I think Columbia and a lot of Mizzou fans have been for a football season in at least the past three to four years, just with how last season went, first year head coach going five and five with the weird schedule that was 2020. Um, and then, you know, all the hype over the offseason, you got so much coming back, a lot of all SEC potential across the field, you know, and fans coming back too. I mean, you've now got people back in person. They're all cheering you on, expecting so much. I think it, it, it can be a lot. And I think you saw that, especially in the first half. And I just think they settled in throughout the game, figured some things out. I think halftime adjustments were big. Another thing, um, I think Martez Manuel and a couple guys pointed out, they said, you know, they really were learning on the fly with that new scheme in the first half. And once they got mm -hmm. to adjust and figure out what Central Michigan did, because, I mean, the film they're studying is all – another thing about week one, you're studying all the film from last season. You know, mm -hmm. a, a team can completely change a scheme and have completely different personnel in the new season, especially last year when it was, you know, shortened season. Central Michigan only played, I believe, six games, I think, last year. Um, so it's, it's very tough to plan for week one, and you just kind of – Week one's probably the time when teams have to most adapt on the fly during the game to be able to win. And I think a sign of a great team is who did that yesterday successfully and, you know, came out with the win. So you can't can't really complain too much um, in the end. But, you know, definitely, definitely some scares early on. Well, I think you have a good point. You know, when I looked at Central Michigan, you know, last year with with Daniel Richardson as at quarterback, Central Michigan had the most conservative offensive game plan you can you can possibly imagine. That was it was it was schemed that way to protect the freshman quarterback. They ran on first down, they ran on second down, then they had him throw it on third down. Like it was very exactly. very predictable, but it's a very safe game plan. Insert Jacob Sermon. Yeah. Who I, I you know I said in the preview like look, this they they acquired this guy over the summer. He was a Washington product. He was the third best quarterback in the country behind who? Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and he comes in and he has a, he has the ability to, to launch it deep. And guys, counting sacks, they dropped back to pass 56 times. Yeah. They only ran it uh, 28. Right. And that's from a team last year that had splits of almost, you know, basically 60-30 the other way. So, you know, they get on the field, Jacob Sermon takes the first snap, and he's pitching it all over. Yeah, you're like, oh, God, what is this? I, yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, you are learning on the fly. You're adapting on the fly, and you're doing it with a new scheme and a, and a new uh, coordinator who's got a different rhythm on how he calls stuff. Um, Sermon was great, uh, you know, in the first half, but really <laughs> it fell apart. Dude ended up 23 or mm -hmm. 45 for 295 yards. That's a 51% yeah. completion rating. And then you add the nine sacks. Um, yeah, like it wasn't pretty, but like they, they insisted on throwing it and it kind of seemed like, yeah, after the first quarter, certainly after the first half, the Tigers like, all right, we got gotcha. you, yeah. uh, completely erased Khalil Pimpleton. Uh, now Sullivan made him pay for it, but, um, they, they were able to, you know, force him to throw, which is what I wanted them to do. Stay away from the run. Um, but it was those explosive runs that really did him in. And I, I'm, I'm surprised that they had Sermon throw it so much when they had so much success on the run. But, hey, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I was I mean, I I agree. I was equally surprised, the, especially being there in person. I mean, looking at looking at the stats after the game, I was stunned that he only completed about 50 percent of his passes. I mean, that first half, he was not missing. I was shocked by, you know, how aggressive they came out. Um, I believe mm -hmm. that first drive and they I mean, they threw the ball, I believe, almost every play. I don't even know if they ran it the first drive at all. Um, I mean, it just it just seemed like they had a lot of confidence in Sermon, and he just looked really comfortable back there, um, partially because early on the the pressure that we saw late in the game wasn't there as much. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Obviously, the 
nine sacks, uh, most since 06, I believe I've heard, or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I think I, I got to give a lot of credit to Central Michigan. I was impressed with how they came out. I think Lou Nichols is also a really quality running back. He he was making a lot of people miss, um, you know. And I, I think one of the things I was also surprised about was Mizzou's team speed, um, at least in that first half, did not, you know, you would figure an SEC team would have far superior speed to a team, you know, coming from the MAC. I didn't really see that early on on either side of the ball. I think it was only when it got late in the game and both teams were kind of wore down. I think, you know, especially guys like Tyler Beatty, they were still running hard late in the fourth quarter and Central Michigan was kind of kind of gassed at the end, at least from what I could tell in person. But yeah, I was, especially without either head coach even there too. I mean, it seemed like they just mm-hmm. kind of went, they just kind of went, all right, I mean, we don't have our head coach. We're coming in here, you know, an underdog quarterback situation isn't really figured out. Let's just, let's throw it, figure out what happens and <laughs> see what we can do. And I mean, they, they had the athletes for it. I mean, I, Pimpleton, one of their best players, didn't even have that great of a game. They didn't need him. It was oh. Nichols and Sermon really just leading the charge. Um, but yeah, I, I think Central Michigan definitely came out him as in the mouth. Because what was even crazier is the first drive, I mean, you had the deep pass base look to Boo Smith, and then Beatty runs in. It looks like, all right, this is going to be an easy game. Mizzou's probably going to score 28, 35 in the first half, and we'll cruise. Central Michigan came right back, scored, and it was game on for them. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Tim Skipper was the interim head coach. He didn't really have to do a whole lot. Um, yeah. You know, there weren't like any like tough calls or like, oh, I'm, you know, timeout management or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and like they said, they, they had prepared, you know, for Jim McElwain to be there, but they were ready if he wasn't. So it kind of seemed like just, you know, Kevin Barbe called the offense, Rob Akey called the defense, and like they just left it at that. And, you know, Barbe, uh, I mean that dude. He has not been a coordinator for super long, but he did it. He did a great job. Uh, maybe he probably should have run it a little bit more. But other than that, like you know, he was very aggressive, which is what an underdog needs to be. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it didn't really bite them at all. There wasn't really kind of bane bane situations where a head coach needed to be there. Uh, so it worked out well for them. But um, yeah, I mean, hey, you know, you talk about SEC speed and strength and winning on the lines might not have been something we saw all game, but we saw it towards the end and that was the difference. But uh, I think really the biggest difference maker was Tyler Beatty, who is seemingly already in mid season form. Um, I, I don't know what his dietary and workout regimen was, but I need to get on it. Cause the look, <laughs> dude looks swole as hell. He, yeah. uh, super fast, super angry. Uh, what he ended up on over 200 yards for the game. I think it was like 200. 25 rushes for 203 yards. Yeah. Um, plus, uh, four targets in the passing game, uh, touchdowns on the ground through the air, easily Missouri's best player. I, I don't think it was even close. It was just incredibly impressive to see him do that in game one. And he and he answered a lot of questions. You know, I mean, obviously Roundtree leaving. A lot of people over the offseason were like, all right, Beatty had kind of always been the lightning to Roundtree's thunder. Is he going to be able to be that every down back um, that kind of comes in, you know, and can take the brunt of an SEC caliber schedule week in week out? I don't know if he's going to be able to get 30 touches a game in the middle of the SEC <laughs> schedule. Even Drinkwitz mm-hmm. after the game was like, I probably gave him like five too many touches. I should have subbed him out late because he's going to take a beating. But he looks he looks stronger. He looks more durable, I would say. Um, in the post game, he talked about how, you know, one of the biggest things for him staying healthy and durable throughout the game was just stretching his stretch routines and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of guys like Bazelak, um and Drinkwitz also talked about just how he he hadn't fall camp he hadn't been always 100 so he would he took a lot of reps off some days off in fall camp just because they knew that they would be relying on him a lot this upcoming season he's going to be one of the mm-hmm. faces of this offense 
after yesterday, he is easily the biggest playmaker on the offense. I think they're going to be wanting to get him the ball as much as often in the future. So I think he kind of, he proved that, yeah, I can fill the role that Roundtree had. I mean, Elijah Young had a solid game, but he wasn't needed too much, to be honest, except for, <laughs> yeah. you know, late when Beatty needed rest. So I, I was really, really impressed with how he came out and, you know, just he answered that question right off the bat. And it was, and it was just chunk plays too. I think he had, it was about like 8.2 yards per carry. It was, it wasn't like he was ever getting really stopped at the line of scrimmage. He was going for first downs every time. You know, those explosive runs obviously speak for themselves too. So yeah. it was, it was great. I mean, it's, I, I would throw him up there. One of the top running backs in the SEC after that, I think he's proven himself. Yeah, I, I'm, I am with Drinkwitz. I think he, he used him a little too much. Uh, you have Elijah Young. I, I know we saw Dawson Downing out there for a couple of third downs. Um, Young rotated in a couple times. But, yeah, we got we got 12 games this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, you're going to need him at the end. Uh, and if you want to use him in the beginning, that's cool. It kind of felt like, like oh, oh, damn, we got to – this is ride or die. So we yeah. just got to leave him in there. Um, cause yeah, again, that's, that's, uh, that's 29 combined, uh, touches drawn up for, for Beatty. Not going to be able to pull that off every single week. No. Um, you need a little bit more Elijah Young. You need a little bit more variance. Cause like you said, Young did well, 5.8 yards per carry on five carries plus a catch for 11 yards. Okay, cool. Um, give him about, give him like six more and take away yeah. some from Beatty just so Beatty's uh, ready at the end to, to contribute when needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, Beatty was awesome. And like, that's cool that he can do that. I'm glad he had that game. It's just not something that you want to be able to, you, to, to have to count on because it's not something that you can count on as the season goes on. Yeah. And I think that'll come down to just the overall balance of the offense. I think Bazelak had, he had a solid, solid to good game yesterday. It was definitely not his best. He missed a couple throws. I mean, admittedly himself, he missed a couple throws. He definitely wanted back. I don't think that was the sharpest we've seen him look, but I think, if that was his B game, I think everybody's totally fine with that because he's probably going to start hitting his A game, um, you know, once midseason comes around. And that'll take a lot of pressure off Beatty. They'll probably start airing it out a little bit more once SEC play comes along just because you're going to face a lot better defensive lines um, that are going to be able to put up a lot bigger of a fight, not letting up as many of those holes. So, yeah, I so, think... 21 of 32, 65.6% completion percentage, two sacks. Is, is that his B game? Do you think that falls in, in B game? I think I get it B, B plus, I would say. But I just think, especially watching him throughout fall camp, I'm just, and this might just me, be me personally, I'm expecting him to take an even bigger step forward this year from last year. He just He's looked like a guy in terms of the confidence the team's, team has in him, the leadership roles he's taken on. He seems like the type of guy that's ready to become like a household name, not just in the state of Missouri. He's now going to be a national name that people are looking at. So I'm, I think, you know, to help out Beatty, I think he'll get there, you know, within a couple games. I think this weekend in Lexington is going to be really big. He's going to be needed more um, to make some more big throws in that game. But I think when, and especially when that, it's also comes down to when that offense is clicking, you know, I think that offense is all about rhythm and timing that a lot of the short, quick passing game. So, and that's going to come with time when you got, you know, early on the season, some new faces around that you're trying to mess with or mess mesh with, if I can get that out. But, uh, yeah well i i just i i don't know i don't know how i would quantify it that's why you know i'm like just kind of saying it out loud and thinking about it yeah i figured we'd see a line somewhere around you know 65 68 percent completion 
probably about seven to eight yards per attempt. And I think he ended up at 7.6 with the sacks counted in. So it was a very typical Beatty game. What wasn't typical was the fact that he had four or five deep shots, uh, which you didn't really see a whole lot of last year. They mm-hmm. opened with a deep shot. Exactly. It was the only one they connected on. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, you, um, you, you like that they're taking those shots, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. You like a little bit better than one for four. Um, I think one of the biggest things we saw with that, especially was with Mookie Cooper. Um, they were trying to get him the ball in a lot of different ways. I can see him becoming that vertical threat just because of his speed. They used him mainly trying. I mean, he had three carries, but also they really only used him in the screen game, which he never really got anything going. I don't know. Central Michigan might have really game planned for him, knowing that Mizzou might try to um, you know, feed him the ball a lot in his first game, see what he's about. But he didn't find much success. That was probably the one, not necessarily disappointment. It's only one game, but I – I was hoping to see a lot more from Mookie in the first game, yeah. but I think they'll they'll build upon that. They're probably not going to run a lot of the same stuff they did week one just because it was pretty easily taken out. But, yeah, I think the deep passing game, it was good to see, especially on that first drive, just them being so aggressive. I think, I mean, it's clear that like has that in his arsenal. I mean, he, he had a lot of passes that, you know, pretty on target, some drops, and then some that were just slightly over. But he he's got that in his arsenal. I just think it's going to come down to the consistency to make teams really respect that take take a lot of guys out of the box again freeing up more stuff for Beatty keeping with that balance yeah I Cooper was disappointing love it was disappointing in so much that he was right there right there twice that I remember he had the man beat Bazelak had the ball deep and it just it didn't happen mm-hmm. either he, he lost the read on it or it was it was over his head um you can you can see how this passing game can work, especially with Cooper and Lovett on the field at the same time. Put them on opposite sides of the field, both in the slot or however you want to do it, but put them on opposite sides. Cooper runs that crappy little screen, <laughs> and then Lovett runs a nine down the field, and yeah. you just figure out which one's the better option, and you stress the defense to the point where, like, all right, well, are we going short or long? Um, you can see how that can work. It just, the threat's not there. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to second guess drink was, I'll just say given the, given the results of the plays, I'm not totally sure why Mookie Cooper was out there as much as he was. Yeah. Like if you want to set up the screen and kind of get some live fire practice on it, that's fine. It's just, we know that dude is hurt on his foot. And every time he got tackled, he got tackled by like eight dudes all landing on him. I'm just like, well, yeah okay it's <laughs> another another example like, of a guy you might want to save for later in the season yeah too. yeah i'm i'm with you on that <laughs> um you just it made me very nervous exactly. and it, apparently he's fine i mean we haven't heard anything to the contrary i'm sure he's going to play next week too um again i i appreciate and understand trying to get actual game film of how this works and like all right linemen this is what we're talking about this is how they're going to combat it but like yeah i don't know also, none of it really worked and so you're like ah, damn what a what a disappointment and also yeah and it also just seemed you know every time he was in the game it seemed like they were just really trying to force feed him the ball i mean he yeah. had seven touches um and i mean as you said every single time it seemed like the entire defense was on him i think central michigan knew you know all right, this guy's their playmaker. He's got speed. When he's on the field, they're probably throwing some screen or running him on a jet sweep. So we're just keying in on him. Um, so yeah. I think they maybe just disguise some things better or use him as a decoy sometimes too, could potentially uh, 
really work out if teams if teams are really you know eyeing him the entire play so i think drinkwitz i i can have safely say i have confidence in him to be able to find a way to use that swiss army knife effectively even sure. if he might not be touching the ball i just think it might take some time um and in the meantime you got Beatty to sort of pick up the slack and i think cooper can kind of take some pressure off of him even in the run game um and, i mean yeah. three they gave him the ball three times in the run game i think they were show they were pretty open to doing that so but yeah, times for think, zero yards. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they'll do it. It just might not be successful, but yeah. keep them honest yeah. at least. But yeah. And then you threw, I love it too. I expected, I, I was hoping to see him at least catch one of those deep balls, but I think, you know, he showed he's, he's capable of getting open on those. It's now just going to be meshing with Basilek as the season goes on. I think they'll, they'll start connecting more, which, uh, which yeah. will only help out the offense. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, really the last part of this equation is the offensive line. It was it was a topic of conversation this offseason. BK and I were trying to figure out how everything was going to stack up. We looked at it for the depth chart. Um, last week I said this line is 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 wide. It's deep and not wide, right? There's yeah. a lot of guys of equal skill level, not a lot that separate themselves to be one and two. So your two is probably as good as your one, which means your one's probably as good as your two. So like yeah. it, it depends on how you want to look at it. That offensive line did not perform well. Now, this is a very good defensive line. Their edge rushers are excellent. Um, and and so we, you know, when you're when you have two brand new tackles going up against some really good pass rushers, that can make the whole thing kind of fall apart on itself. But this offensive line was not good, yeah. flat out. And there are 10 guys on the two deep. I'm pretty sure I saw all 10 play. Uh Connor Wood got in there. I saw Zeke Powell in there. Uh, Bobby Lawrence was found himself on the field. Like they were just, let's find something that's gonna work. And I, I'm okay if Marcus Johnson hasn't figured out his top, his top five yet. I didn't think that was going to be the case. I certainly don't think it's the case now. I was cool with him mixing and matching, trying to see what was going to work. But guys, you got Kentucky next week. Like we, exactly. we got to find something that's going to work because they're going to be able to whip you way better than than the Chippewas could. And that offensive line struggled early and and even a little bit late. Even with all things considered, them being able to to wear out the central Michigan uh, defensive line. Yeah. Unfortunately, this isn't a season where you play, you know, um, you know, central Michigan, then North Texas, then Missouri state for the first three weeks. And then you get into sec play and you've already figured things out. You know, we, Missouri doesn't necessarily have the luxury of being able to take our time with things. I think, uh, you know, that offensive line, I don't know what they're going to come out with this weekend in Lexington. If they're going to maybe find a five based off of this game, if it's still going to be a process, it definitely seemed like, they were trying to find a five that meshed well, whoever worked the best in the field, which generally will probably take a couple of games. I just worry. I mean, yeah, SEC defensive lines, they're the best in the country, quite frankly, and it's going to be very tough if they play like that in SEC play. I mean, I think pretty much everybody watched Georgia play Clemson on Saturday night, and mm -hmm. that Georgia mm -hmm. defensive line was full of freakish athletes that are probably all going to go in like the top three rounds of the draft or something. So yep. when that game rolls around, they need to have a five that they can rely on so Bazelak doesn't get his head taken off and can't throw, you know, past like two seconds in the pocket. Um, yeah. So it's just, it, it it's fine if it's a work in progress. It just, you got to make progress. That's for sure. I, I don't expect a good fun time in Lexington next week. I think offensive line is going to be uh, one of the causes of that. I mean, Hey, I could be wrong. Maybe they figured it out and they knock it out. Boom. We got our five. They rock and roll. Regardless of what happens, you know Mike Maidy is going to be the center. You know Case Cook is going to be the guard. Mm -hmm. Everything else is going to be up for grabs, or at least it should be. I didn't see anything on Saturday. They told me that Javon Foster 
is you know going to be the starting tackle or Hyron White's always going to be there or Xavier Delgado is always going to be there. Um, I just did it. And, and, you know, it's not fair, you know, overreacting to first game of the season is always, you know, just a, a futile effort, but yeah. you, you only go off of what you can going into the next game. So I expect a good week of practice from those guys. Um, Marcus Johnson's going to figure it out. But um, if this is a problem that lasts throughout the season, this is going to be the thing that's going to hamstring the entire offensive attack. Uh, and Mookie Cooper's not going to be running for anything. And, you know, Dominic Lovett's not going to be able to have the time to get open. So yeah. um, they got to figure it out fast. I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I do think Jersey Mike did it, played a pretty good game. Uh, he he kept the pocket clean for his part anyway. Yeah. Uh, the sacks, they were both zero yardage sacks. So it was like kind of just, it wasn't a huge loss there. Um, yeah. But the running holes weren't always open. Tyler Beatty had to do a little bit more than what he he's used to and and it's just one of those things it's like if, if your quarterback doesn't have time then these things don't develop and if you want a deep passing game you need time to develop so that's a problem yeah i mean and you mentioned it does help especially when you're putting together a new line to have two veterans like that that you can rely on you know they're going to be the leaders in the faces of the line and they're going to be able to help things mesh together just because they played so much football but i mean yeah the other three spots i agree it, it was it was up for grabs that whole game and it also just hurts overall in the offensive line to keep rotating people in and out through a game. You never really develop that chemistry in the game, that feeling for each other. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's just why. I mean, the quicker they settle on that five to six, maybe seven-man rotation, the the better for Bayslack and that entire offense. Uh, and, you know, in Lexington, it'll hopefully get figured out pretty fast or they'll definitely suffer the consequences, I will say. Yeah, sink or swim, baby. Um Along those lines, as far as figuring out a rotation, that Missouri defense was an interesting story yesterday. And again, going in, I figured it was probably going to be, you know, you didn't have a rough couple of series here and there. And to their credit, they, they woke up, especially towards the end of this, of the game. But man, there was some really obvious misses, like Mm kind of early, especially the middle of the field was just wide open. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about good blaze Aldridge in a second, but bad blaze Aldridge <laughs> over pursues and has no run contained. So yeah. we saw kind of like the bottom of what this defense can be. I, I mean, you, you talked to the players, you said, you know, they started kind of getting into rhythm as it goes on. Did you see anything you're like at, at any point where you're like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Who are I mean, these guys? Was, how bad is it? I'd be, I'd be willing to bet money that the halftime halftime speech from drink wins largely centered around tackling because i mean in the first half i just think especially i mean it was it was almost lou nichols every time i swear but yeah it was missed tackle after missed tackle in the open field or just in holes in the offensive line and it was just it was tough to see i did not expect that from you know a defense especially guys like blaze and those linebackers um in the defensive front and then i just think the man coverage especially in the first half was really lacking they were just i mean sermon was putting on the money but his receivers were also um just open for him every single time it seemed like so yeah i think that was one of the concerns people talked a lot about you know nick bolton also was a solid pass defender as well and yep. linebackers have to be able to help with that and blaze definitely struggled with that you know for all the good that he did he definitely did struggle with that um in the first half and maybe that's why they started blitzing him in the second half because they're like well if you can't cover the pass we'll at least have to go rush the quarterback and affect him that way so um i don't know if they'll be able to survive like that but yeah it definitely Definitely was iffy. Those first couple drives just were way too easy for Central Michigan. And you've got, I mean, I feel like we've said this plenty of times, but you've got 
plenty more tougher opponents coming ahead. It's not going to be able to fly if if that keeps up because the I mean Central Michigan was also just balanced the whole game. It was you know mixing it up, running past. I mean I got to give a lot of credit to their play calling. I thought they were very creative um, and how they got their guys the ball and what they're running. But yeah, I I had hoped to see better from a defense that was very excited going into it um, and thought they had a real chance to really show out in this first game and they did at times, but definitely. So, you know, I, the, the problem that I had, and we talked about this last week on the show with Enos Ragstraw and Ish Burdine getting the start with Allie Green and a Caleb Evans kind of or stars, but basically coming off the bench. I said it on Twitter yesterday. I'll say it again. I'm cool. If you want to get Enos and Ish playing time, experience, all that stuff. You know what you have in Green and Evans. You want to get those guys developed. Those dudes are getting roasted. Yeah. Like, like real bad. Like that, those first couple drives were those two. And that's, that's okay. Like I'm not blaming them for what happened and it, it all, you know, worked out in the end and they, they did make some plays as the game went on. I'm not taking it, but like you have Ellie green and a Caleb Evans. <laughs> These are, NFL draft worthy corners proven guys. This this isn't a, a starting pitcher, closing pitcher situation. <laughs> like exactly. I know there's going to be a rotation, but let's go ahead and put our best guys out there. And yeah. maybe Steve was like, all right, Hey, we could probably, we could probably run it with Enos and it and ish and we'll be fine. And then he saw the first two drives and went, Oh shit, probably not. Uh, so like I, I'm going to give a credit and say, look, that, that could possibly be the case. But Evans and Green got their rotations in, got their snaps in, and they started playing a lot more after those first two drives, and that's not by accident. Yeah. Enos and Ish made a couple plays, especially down the stretch. But I don't think you're, they're your starting corners, regardless of what that depth chart says. And I would expect Evans and Green to be dominating the snaps, especially after what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, especially. I mean, I... I... I would be shocked to see them not starting next week in Lexington. You know, I think, as you said, it's good to get them playing time, but especially in the first game of the season, you know, the atmosphere, all the stuff we had previously talked, you know, the jitters that we had referenced. Um, it's tough for some younger guys like that, whereas you got you have two guys on the bench that have played so much football. I would have even liked to see them maybe start, and then you rotate the other guys in after a couple series, sure. and then you do it like yeah. that. I was, I was just surprised. If that was your goal, to get them some playing time and some experience, it's just... I don't know why you have to have them in there those first couple of drives. And it's also potentially, you know, maybe they thought Central Michigan was going to come out a little bit more conservative running the ball early on, which is mm-hmm. perfectly fine. And they came out slinging it and they were like, oh, well, we got to get our guys in there now. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know necessarily what the thought process might have been there, but in the end it worked out. And I think they've learned they've got their front two guys and then they've got two guys that have shown potential behind them, but that still need have a little bit of ways to go in their development. And hey, let's not rule out the fact that Jalen Carlis is like the secret sauce for this defense working, mm-hmm. right? Because that defense showed up in the second half. Guess what? That's when Carlis was back in his in his safety spot, and um, man, he he knocked the stuffing out of Jake Sherman like in that third quarter, man. Like I bleh, that, was that was a hard hit, and like that's that was kind of the let's call it the beginning of the end of the effectiveness of Jake Sherman uh, for the game after he got just pile driven into the ground. Um, but they they started clicking, and it was great to see that how it got there was a little concerning because again, Parker, how did they do it? They started blitzing, 
They they couldn't get the four man rush that they wanted, so they started blitzing Blaze Aldrin's, and they started blitzing Chris Sheeran, and they started blitzing Enos Rakestraw, and bringing all this creative pressure, which is cool. But also, we're getting into the blitzing Nickelback portion of the defensive season in game one, uh, which is a little concerning. But I mean, you got to win the game. Um, yeah. If that's going to be a the calling card of a Steve Wilkes defense, that's fine. But the fact that you couldn't get an effective pass rush with four guys on a MAC team, a good one, we understand. But on a MAC team, I don't know, a little concerning, not concerning. What yeah, do you think? I, I mean, one thing I will point out, Blaze did explain it in his press conference. He explained it a little bit. You know, he was like, on film, we hadn't seen as much, but um, we started to figure out during the game, especially the first half. Central Michigan ran a lot of like six, seven man protections where they were leaving back a tight end or two and a running back. So, I mean, he said pretty much at halftime, they went in there and, the, and he said, all right, if we expect you guys to do that, we're just going to start bringing, you know, we can't get there with four against seven. So we're going to start bringing five or six guys. Um, so I think, you know, that was, that was blaze most of the time coming in to sort of even out the numbers in there, but still, yeah, you would hope that with the caliber of defense alignment that we have, um, I mean, I, I didn't see Trajan Jeffco make as big of an impact as I had hoped he would. Um, he was still there and had his moments, of course, but, um, I was hoping that at least some individual guys would be able to make some bigger plays against inferior competition, albeit a team that definitely surprised us and more than likely is going to have a decent season in the Mac. I would, I would assume, but yeah, I think as you referenced that some slight desperation in the first game, a little concerning, maybe put a little bit too much on film for a lot of the teams we got coming up that, uh, that might be problematic, but all in all, I think potentially you just also maybe you found a formula that works where this is just a blitzing defense and you're going to start seeing a lot of linebackers in the backfield. And if it works like that all season, then by all means, you know, roll out the red carpet for that because that, that was it was beautiful in the second half when it was working. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze Aldridge finishes with nine tackles. I think eight solo tackles and, and uh, two assisted six tackles for loss. Three and a half of those are sacks. Um, that's nine and a half. <laughs> like that, 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 that is, that is a lot. That is a lot of production from one linebacker. That is, that's better than anything Nick Bolton ever put together in a game last year. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a one trick pony, right? Nick did a lot of things. He covered the passing lanes. He could blitz when he needed to, he could be a volume tackle tackler. If you needed him blaze kind of seems like I'm going to mess you up in the backfield. And that's kind of like his thing. And which is, Again, needed. Um, we'd like a little bit more from him, especially in run contain, possibly playing the pass lanes. But hey, maybe he's just getting used to it. Um, but yeah, it was it was creative pressure. It was cumulative pressure. Uh, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different guys logged a sack. Uh, nine total sacks on the day, including uh, Mekhi Wingo or Mekhi Wingo. Okay, is it Mekhi Wingo or Mekhi? What did you hear? Um. I believe I can't remember exactly. I believe I heard Mackay though. I feel like I would have remembered Mackey. So I, yeah, I think okay. would, I, I believe Mackay, but that's something I'll, I'll definitely keep an ear out for. Um, well, again, Mr. Wingo, uh, really, really good. You're not seeing it from the stat sheet. He did have a, t- a sack in there, but he was incredibly disruptive. Once he started working his way into the rotation, I think he was replacing Whiteside. Once he worked his way into the rotation, that interior Central Michigan line started folding in on itself and pushing Sermon to the outside and forcing him to kind of throw on the run. I was incredibly impressed. He actually ended up with the most snaps on defense. I think 48 of the 87 snaps they experienced, he was on the field. Oh, wow. um, 
which is incredible for a freshman, but yeah. that is that is awesome. And apparently that's gonna be needed for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think I think if you ask most coaches around the country, you know, what would you rather have? Would you rather have one Chase Young on your defensive line, or would you rather have four guys that can do all what Chase Young can? I think you'd pick the four guys because the other team can't key in on one of the guys. So if you've got this swarm kind of mentality on defense where you've, you know, you've got multiple guys getting sacks per game so that they they can't pick and choose a side where they can slide protections that pays huge dividends keeps offenses guessing and off balance so yeah i think with how many guys got a sack that was really encouraging nobody outside of blaze really dominated um which is perfectly fine i mean you don't need to have one all sec guy when you've got four guys that make up one of the best defense lines in the country potentially so i think yeah just going absolutely. by not so, calling one of the best yep. in the country just meaning that um, i think you'd rather have that but I yeah. think in terms of Blaze, I mean, there was obviously Drinkwitz, his famous quote from the presser. I've seen um, a little bit on social media, with like Saturday Down South and stuff. But um, him saying, you know, if you've got hair like that, you better be a good player. Um, and I, I had personally never seen Blaze's hair until he came into the press conference after the game. And it is very unique with the, I mean, it's, I don't know if you've seen it, I assume, but it's like head a shaved, warrior. two blonde braids that go straight back down his head. It is, I mean, yeah, and he plays like it. So, I mean, it, I think that works, but. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he was everything I think we expected and a lot more. I don't, I think a lot of people were wondering if, you know, you go from rice to now an SEC program and albeit you're playing a Mac team, but still is your play going to be able to translate in a much bigger atmosphere and on a bigger stage. And it, it definitely did, especially late in the game. I think potentially also just how much football he's played. He still was so, you know, physically and probably mentally fresh late in that game compared to the rest of the both teams. I think that really helped with him just being able to blitz and, come in there with his hair on fire so i am mm. very encouraged with that he did obviously you know we talked about previously some holes with his game that'll need to be ironed out maybe just you know potentially devin nicholson or another linebacker can just make up for that and plays maybe just plays his one role that's perfectly fine as well so that's something that also i think will develop as the season goes on um for blaze but definitely definitely made a name for himself on day one which is all you can ask for absolutely so we close the book on Central Michigan. We are heading headlong into Kentucky week, whether we want it or not. Um, heading into Lexington, it'll be on Saturday. I don't know. What are your last thoughts, Park? Are you feeling good? Anything about the game? Anything about Kentucky? How are, what's your what's your mental capacity? I am. I mean, I've said it's it's a little bit of a it's a strange take, but at least looking at it from like realistic perspective, I think this is one of, if not maybe Mizzou's biggest game of the year, just because if you're looking for that team behind Georgia and Florida, it's going to be either Missouri or Kentucky. That's what everybody's been predicting. So I think this game so early in the season, it'll prove, you know, all right, the winner of this game, they have the potential to be able to contend with those top two teams. Loser, you're probably kicked out of that race and you're knocked down to fourth place in the East. So it's it's a very big i mean it's it's the definition of a swing game it's a huge game for both programs it's going to propel mm -hmm. one forward and set one back you know another season potentially so it's kentucky looked good in their opener um penn state tra transfer uh will levis i believe is how you say his last name he looked really good a big guy can run the ball effectively as well threw for over 300 yards in that game and they've got a stable of good running backs um that'll definitely test the defensive line that left too many holes for Nichols to run through, to be quite honest. And that that is definitely concerning. Kentucky has a veteran, one of the best offensive lines in the country, very experienced. So that could pose some trouble. 
I, can, I, I don't have too many concerns about the Missouri offense after this game. Um, you know, I think the one thing we talked about is just keeping Beatty healthy. And that's outside of that. I don't, I don't see us not being able to score points on Kentucky. It's just, it's going to come down to, can you stop a dual threat quarterback, those running backs and a guy that showed that he is able to throw the ball effectively too. So it's going to be interesting. I expect a close game, a primetime game. It's the first real test after that first game. I think, that first game was so great and drink was touched a little bit on it just to have a game like that to test your team so early in the season really wake them up i think that was Mm -hmm. good going into what should be a dog fight on saturday night so i'm excited it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch um i don't know if we give any i can do a score prediction if you'd like but i don't know if i want to spoil that too soon uh, I'd love to hear it if you want to. If you want to jump to it that fast, not so bad, man. <laughs> I will. I, I I sometimes like to sort of calling things out early and living with the consequences if it turns out to be terrible. But I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with Missouri 27, Kentucky 20. I think it's a Damn. moderately low scoring game. I think it's very back and forth and close. A lot of field goals. Um, I think both defenses um, show that they're a little bit of bend don't break in their first game. So um, I think it'll be close. I'm gonna have confidence in the Tigers just because I think overall more talented roster, a little bit more experience. Um, but the road atmosphere in Lexington is going to be, that's a fairly underrated stadium in recent years now mm-hmm. that they've improved that program. So that's, that's another thing, you know, Bazelak, for instance, last year, I mean, he started in Athens two years ago, but last year didn't play in any big road environments. This is going to be um, one of the bigger ones he's been in. So I think that's also something to take into account. That'll definitely play a factor. Yeah. Keep in mind, Louisiana Monroe is is one of the poorest <laughs> programs in the country and one also of the true. worst teams yeah. in the that world. Can't take away too much from that game, to be fair. Yeah, like I I, I refuse to read too much into it. I <laughs> I like that they won big. I like that they're feeling confident heading into this game. Um, I like that we got tested early and we won. Uh, I, I nothing nothing means anything. You're a different team every week, uh, especially in college. So, like, nothing's going to translate one-to-one. I'm just glad that I, our guys are battle-tested. They came out with a fight. They, they got some lessons to learn. They still won. And uh, they got a week full of practice to figure it out. So I, I'm not nearly as bold as you as far as throwing out <laughs> score projections right now. Um, I, I hope that it's close. Uh, I will say this, until proven otherwise, Eli Drinkwitz has my close game seal of approval. Yeah. Because I do think he's a good... I think he's a good game day coach. I think he's a good tactical coach. He's got a good quarterback and he's got an excellent special teams. Um, you know, between Harrison Mevis and Grant McInnes, who can punt it exactly where he wants it anywhere on the field. Like those are little hidden yardage things that help you win games. So if it's close, I'm going to trust Drinkwitz. Yeah, and that, if it is close, then I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely forgot about the special teams, but I was thrilled with the special teams yesterday. I mean, Mavis nailed that kick. McKinnis was pinning everything inside of the 15-yard line, it seemed like. So, I mean, I think that's another big advantage that I feel like isn't really being talked about enough right now, Um, and especially on the road in an environment like that, winning the field position battle uh, in a game that may be um, offensively challenged goes (laughs) – it just does so much for you. So, I, uh, yeah, a little bit of confidence stemming from those two, too. I uh, definitely impressed with how they played against CMU. But it'll be an interesting one. I think – Definitely will learn a lot about both teams, figure out what they're truly about. Um, I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest cliches, you know, you make your biggest strides between week one and week two. So I think we're going to see two sharper and more complete teams 
next week in Lexington for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, probably means it's going to be a good game. Hopefully it means it's a close game, like I said. Also, keep this in mind. Grant McKinnis has never lost the Missouri-Kentucky game. There we go. Right? He showed up on like Kentucky's campus in 2016. That, well. that was four straight wins for the Wildcats. He flipped to Missouri last year. Missouri won last year. So this will be the ultimate determining factor to see if Grant McKinnis is the ultimate good luck totem for the Missouri-Kentucky football game. Exactly. So, there you go. All right. Well, we are getting out of here. Uh, Parker, where can people find you? Um, well, on Twitter, it's just at Gillum, working right for Rock M. You'll see me on there writing and such. Um, and then also on Instagram, I just run a little college football account called at CFU. If you want to find me on there as well, I just do some overall college football coverage, but you'll see some Mizzou stuff. I like to pay homage to the, to the not, I guess I can't, I can't say alma mater. That, that's not at all true. I guess not yet. my current, yeah, <laughs> yeah, my current school of residence, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. Very good, man. Well, appreciate you pitching in. I'm sure BK will thank you when he gets over his raging hangover that he's currently <laughs> experiencing in Memphis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment. You can give us a rate. We love all types of feedback. We already told you where you can find Parker. You can follow me on Twitter at Nate Edwards. You can follow the Rockham flagship at Rockham Nation. BK will be back on Wednesday. You can follow him at BK Sports Talk, or you can tune into the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN, 10 to 3. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z.